Welcome to the Garden Wise Show with Colorado's most knowledgeable and entertaining garden experts, the Garden Wise Guys, Keith Funk and Jim Borland. Get ready for gardening tips that you can use right now. New plants, hot products, and the latest from horticultural science. The lines are open, so call into the Legend Studio now. 303-477-2473. 303-477-2473. On the air since 1994, the Garden Wise Guys have the answers to your questions about gardening in the high-altitude desert of the Colorado Front Range. And now, here are your hosts, the Garden Wise Guys. And a jolly good morning to you all out there. This is Keith Funk. I'm one of the Garden Wise Guys. And I'm going solo today. Jim is a bit under the weather, so I'm going to need your help. And that means I'm going to need your phone calls and your garden questions. So uh, I don't have my partner here, Jim, to banter with between calls. Uh, and I'm not real good at the banter stuff. So while you're listening to the Garden Wise Show right here on 810 The Legend, think of a garden question. Give me a call. The telephone number here is easy now. It's 303-477-2473. 4772473 you'll get right in uh we won't be doing a whole lot of jabber and talk of that we we answering questions today is what I'm going to be doing so I could use your help with your garden questions it's been a beautiful spring so far except for the last you know however many snowstorms we've had in between beautiful a few days I don't know about you but I've been planting things outdoors just because I have to I'm running out of room in my grow room and uh, surprisingly and I mean really I'm absolutely shocked that uh, the peas the, the the pea transplants that I put out they were already six or eight inches tall before this last snowstorm came through that 16 degree degree weather just fine as did the uh, broccoli plants and the sweet pea plants I put out there I put some shallots out some onion plants all of them just sailed through that extra cold nasty weather and I am I wasn't expecting that you'd think after however many years I've been doing this which has been ridiculous I mean between Jim and I we have between Jim and me excuse me between Jim and me I can just see my wife cringing when I said I that uh, we have over 125 years worth of gardening experience between us and yes we're that old so uh, give me a call here 303-477-2473 ask me your garden question and we'll be off and running and we're going to do that let's see um Where are we going to start today, you guys? We're going to start on line with Mark. Okay, let's go to line line two with Mark. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for calling the Garden Wise guys. Good morning. So I have a question about relocating some uh, lilac bushes. Yeah. Um, I bought them small and planted them um, up against a wall that ended up... uh, having this cement board on it so it's really warm uh in the summertime it gets a lot of radiant heat so i want wanted to um uh about moving those to another location and uh what that impact would have how long have they been in the ground uh, about three to five years okay yeah you should be able to move them just fine the sooner the better at this point because they're probably already budding up and right. uh Take as big a root ball as you can physically carry. And I will go ahead and dig the hole where you're going to put the new, where you, the new hole where you're going to put them. I dig that first. Sure. 
So it's ready to go. Don't plant the lilac any deeper than what it was growing originally. So if that means taking a Sharpie out there and drawing on the stems or putting some masking tape around that area, something just to give you a visual guide on, on how deep to plant the plant, uh, okay. that will help. And keep in mind that if, if you dig a deep hole, you've got a lot of fluffy soil below. As soon as you water, everything's going to sink. Right. So be prepared for that. If you're going to dig a deep hole like that, then you'll want to plant it extra high, above grade, so that when it settles, it'll be at grade. Okay. Now, do I need, when I do that, should I amend it with, like, some compost or? You know, you can a little bit. It, it never hurts as long as you don't overdo it. Now, those plants have a big root system as they age, and they have to get used to your soil eventually. So... Over, overdoing the planting hole, uh, it delays that, that spreading out of the roots. It, the roots want to stay in that really nice soil instead of going out into your regular soil. Does that make sense? Right. So maybe 20% compost and 80% your soil. Okay. And use that as your backfill around the plant. Okay. Can I throw one more question? Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, got some house plants that are occasionally getting like some yellow leaves on there, and we read somewhere about nitrogen levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you comment on that? Well, yeah, I can. Uh, normally, see, nitrogen is one of those elements, uh, nutrient elements in the in the plant that are mobile. The plant can move it from one place to another to keep the growing point healthy. Uh-huh. So they'll the plant can remove nitrogen from lower older leaves and translocate it up to the growing point to keep everything happy that way so what happens then when when you have low nitrogen or or not enough nitrogen in the soil is that your oldest lower leaves start to turn yellow but the growing point and the younger leaves look perfectly healthy is that um a deficiency somewhere or yeah i mean I, i are you fertilizing on a regular basis um, normally, it's just with water. Uh, we're starting to look at some occasional fertilization. I, uh, to tell you the truth, what I do is I water at one, or I fertilize at one quarter strength, whatever the fertilizer recommendation is that you have. You know, if it's a teaspoon per gallon, I I use a quarter teaspoon with every watering. Okay. And and then about once every couple of months i'll just go with clear water and really flush it through you know water the plant two or three times in a row um to to flush any soluble salt buildup out of the soil anything that the plant hasn't used needs to go okay um you know we had uh, an old gardening book that was given to us and um in that book it can recommended uh, or talked about boiling your water does that um, have any impact on that? No. No. Boiling the water uh, referred to getting rid of the chlorine in the water. Okay. Uh, our water in most cities now is, is, is not treated with chlorine. It's treated with chloramine, which bonds to the water molecule and, and doesn't evaporate off. So there's, there's no reason to leave the water sit out for 24 hours or boil it or anything like that unless you, unless you want to make it warmer. If, you, if you've got cold, really cold water and you want to warm it up to room temperature, uh, the plants would appreciate that. But that's really all it does. Okay. All right. Sounds good then. All right. Well, you have a good one. And, you know, those, I just wanted to really point out that 
those plants in those containers are relying you, on you for all of their nutrition because their roots can't go out and search for it. Okay. So uh, you need to be on a regular fertilizer uh, uh, regime year-round. As a lot of those older books will say, in the wintertime, don't fertilize your houseplants because they're dormant. Well, they're not. They have green leaves. They're still functioning. They need to stay healthy. And that's with a water-soluble fertilizer versus a granule? Well, uh, there are some granule fertilizers that are designed for use in containers. Not all of them are, so read the label carefully. Uh, But uh, usually you'll find, uh, oh, there's one out there that's commonly available called Osmocote. And that one you can use on container plants. And, it, and every time you water, it, gives us, uh, it releases a little bit of fertilizer. And that usually will last for three or four months. Okay. But other than that, yeah, water solubles are the easiest to find. And I'd stick with something where all three numbers are, you know, fairly close together. Um, it doesn't have to be exact. The plants can't read. And so you, you want to have a, a, a reasonable... Analysis. I, I always look for something close to a 20-20-20 or something with that sort of ratio. Okay, and, and I never use the Bloom Builders thing, stuff. Um, to me, that's just a marketing gimmick. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for your call this right. morning. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Next up is Susie. Is that right? All right. Let's go see what Susie's up to with her pine trees. Good morning, Susie. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. I have a question about, I have some established Heliobaurus rose plants, and I have to move them. The world's going to change here shortly. And I have an established uh, blue spruce pine that I would, I I, uh, trimmed recently, and I would like to move those rose uh, plants under the pine. Will they grow under that? You're talking, when you say rose, you mean the hellebores? Yeah, hellebores, rose. Okay. Christmas rose? You can't plant, yes, I can't, you can't put everything under a pine. Is that true? It's it's difficult growing things under pines and spruces. Um, The biggest two limitations are light and moisture. Those trees will... They'll suck every bit of moisture out of the ground that they can because they've got a, a, a shallow, fibrous root system that'll compete with your other plants. Now, having said that, I have lots of big, mature pines and spruce trees on my property, and I grow all kinds of stuff underneath them. And I find that the, the most important thing is water. You, you've got to water them. Everything. Okay. But you can move those... I just recently, I trimmed it up to my shoulder level, mm-hmm. the pine tree. Yeah. It's a very old pine tree, and they're in the, they're in the process of blooming right now, and unfortunately, I have to move them now while yeah. they're in the blooming. I just don't have a choice. But watering that tree is not a problem. No, I'm talking about watering so, the plants that you plant under the tree. No. Right. No, that's not a problem at all. Great. No, yeah. Do, be, I didn't be, know if it was an issue of those plants under that tree no a lot of people think that pine needles and spruce needles and stuff like that cause the soil to be too acid and Mm -hmm. i only wish that were the case Uh, our soils are on the alkaline side and i would love it if the needles off my pine trees dropped the ph of my soil down to 6.5 but it just doesn't happen here so don't worry about the acidity about 
Okay, and my next question is about putting hostas under that pine tree. And I've read about this, I know about the slugs with hostas, but if I do something with the, I've read about the Epsom salts to try to keep the slugs away, should I stay away from that? Yes, stay away from Epsom salts. Um, There are some wonderful slug control products out there that are made out of iron phosphate so it's a natural product it's okay. not a poison okay. and but the slugs don't like it now the first thing i'd suggest to you since you're going to be planting under a pine tree is to just watch and see if slugs do become a problem it doesn't always happen okay Especially with uh, if you're going to leave needles on the ground like I do, um, the slugs don't seem to appreciate that environment very much. Okay. And then also when you do locate your hostas under the tree, you know, pay attention to the sun patterns because the, the light is going to come in underneath the skirt of the tree and, and hostas don't like a lot of direct sun. So watch your sun patterns right. before you plant so that you're not putting them where they're going to get, you know, hot afternoon sun around the edge or something. Okay. Okay. I will do that. Well, that was that was my question. Or I guess my two questions. So okay. I appreciate your information. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling this morning, Susie. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thank you, you too. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. So you're listening to the Gardenwise Show here. Uh, I'll be on today from seven in the morning to nine in the morning. And I'll be answering your gardening questions. So write this number down. If you have a garden question, you'll want to give me a call, 303-477-2473. And this is 810 The Legend. Time for Ask the Barn-Eyed Guy with answers to what's bugging you. Let's go to Dave on line one. Oh, hey, so I'm really big into next-generation technology. Uh-huh. I've got a next-gen TV. I've got a next-gen lawnmower. Cool. Yeah, so now I've got next-gen weeds popping up in my garden. Uh, what do you recommend? Hmm, how about something next-gen? Oh, really? I'm all ears. Bonide Cleanup HE is the next-gen way to kill unwanted weeds, grasses, and brush in hours with just one application. Whoa, okay. So what's with the HE? Oh, it's a new high-efficiency formula, kind of like the laundry detergent. With Cleanup HE, one gallon treats up to 1,000 square feet. That's like three times more than what you're using now. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, yeah, and Cleanup HE is great for outdoor patios, walkways, driveways, and round flower beds and gardens. Just spray and watch those weeds disappear. Now that's smart technology. Thanks, Bonide guy. Get next-gen weed control with new Cleanup HE from Bonide. Trusted since 1926. Visit your local hardware store or garden center today or learn more online at bonide.com. Have you got spring fever? Then come visit Nick's Garden Center and Farm Market. We are one of Colorado's largest garden centers with over 10 acres of top-quality plants and the finest gardening products on the market. Get a head start on the season with seeds, seed starting supplies, onion and potato sets, hardy pansies, herbs, spring bulbs, house plants, soils, and fertilizers. Come see many unusual plants as well as trusted favorites. All the newest variety of trees, shrubs, evergreens, roses, and perennials are arriving weekly. Our bulk and landscape yard is stocked with compost, mulches, and decorative rock with delivery available. Our friendly and helpful expert staff is ready to assist. Nick's Garden Center and Farm Market, celebrating 34 years of color, quality, and service. Located two blocks north of Iliff on Chambers Road in Aurora. Also visit us at nicksgardencenter.com. 
Spring is the time for seeds. Every botanical interest seed packet is designed to help gardeners succeed. Featuring gorgeous botanical artist renderings of each variety, each packet includes extensive horticultural information, but also includes really cool stuff like the history of the plant, recipes, and tips on keeping your cut flowers and harvested vegetables fresh. On a regular basis, a horticulturist reviews each seed packet to give practical organic gardening recommendations that you can use in your garden to be successful. These seed packets also help answer quick questions on the front and back while shopping, such as if it's organic, size of plant, when to sow, and more. Seed packets by gardeners for gardeners. Botanical Interest Seed is available at your favorite independent garden retailer. All right, we are back. You're listening to The GardenWise Show, and my name is Keith Funk. I'm here solo today. My co-host, Jim Borland, who is usually with me on this show, is a bit under the weather. So this is my first solo show on the new station here. And by the way, um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but this show is rebroadcast on Sunday, tomorrow, at 6 o'clock, and that'll happen no, that's 6 o'clock in the evening, I'm sorry. So every, every week, we'll have the live show on Saturdays, and then it will be rebroadcast on Sunday at 6. Just in case you missed the live show, you'll be able to pick it up there. And we are working on getting our podcast back up and running so that you can listen to it anytime, anywhere you choose. So, having said all of that, all kinds of stuff going on in the garden right now. This is, even though the weather isn't all that cooperative, you know, April is typically unsettled. So you kind of have to expect that here in Colorado. Don't like it. Don't like it like that at all. But uh, that's kind of what happens. However, you can get busy with some plants that are extremely durable to put out this time of year. I mentioned them earlier. I've already planted out peas and broccoli and sweet peas and oh, shallots and onions And I'm getting ready to plant out more things. Like what, you ask? Well, possibly, you might want to know. You can still plant all the coal crops, uh, and that would include the whole cabbage family, like cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, and, and... I said broccoli, didn't I? So, Well, I like broccoli, so I'll say it again. And those can be set out now. It's a little too late to be direct seeding them or starting the seed indoors for those things. You need to be putting out plants right now. And... A good point to remember when buying plants this time of year to plant out right away is to make sure you harden them off or get them acclimated to outdoor temperatures and sunlight before you plant them directly in the garden. And part of that is dependent on where the plants were growing when you bought them. So if they were already outdoors, if they were being sold outdoors in you know general temperatures that we experience outdoors right now they're more than likely already completely hardened off if you want to make sure just ask one of the people there at the garden center that you're shopping at if you're buying a plant from inside the greenhouse where it's warm and humid and partially shaded and and you know everything is taken care of for them they're kind of lazy right now and they need to be hardened off so the process of doing that takes about a week to 10 days and that's Putting them outdoors in a shaded location for the first three or four days. Near the house, preferably. It's usually more uh, temperate near the house. Keep an eye on the watering. They may need watering every day if they start to dry out. And then gradually introduce them to more and more sun until they're into a situation where over a period of a week to ten days, you've got them into the conditions where you're going to be planting them. 
Uh, always keep in mind that if the temperatures are going to drop below freezing, though, you'll want to bring them in to the garage or an unheated porch or someplace where they won't freeze, but certainly not indoor human temperatures. Uh, that'll sort of undo the hardening off process and you'll have to start over again. So uh, hopefully that helps. And that applies to not only vegetables, but it also applies to perennials, trees, shrubs, vines, roses, all of that sort of thing. If the plants are in lush, vigorous growth when you buy them, uh, and, they, and they're coming from indoors, inside a greenhouse, you definitely have to harden them off slowly. And, you know, it might even be safest just to wait on some of those things like roses until after Mother's Day to plant them out because you just can never you just never know uh, May can be just as unsettled as April or it can be absolutely spectacular you never know from year to year so having said all that let's get out to the phones we're going to go talk to uh, oh yeah we're going to go talk to Carol is that where we're going to go next no Nancy okay let's go out and talk to Nancy uh, about her planting questions good morning Nancy good morning I have a couple of questions. Um, in my raised planter, I mean, it's a big planter, but um, we years ago we planted sedum. Okay. And I hate it. Oh, I'm sorry. What kind of sedum is it? I have no idea. Is it tall or is it a ground cover? It's a ground cover. Okay. And it spreads everywhere. All right. And it's trying to take over everything. And I want to dig it up, kill it get rid of it whatever i can do can i if i just dig it up will that take care of it yes yeah it has a fairly shallow fibrous root system so if you get okay. it out you know an inch deep or so oh okay. and just don't oh, leave I... any bits and pieces laying around to root back in right right yeah and it i mean it's like traveled underground over to other some other plants i'm gonna have to really watch where it's gone yeah it does uh pieces break off and and move with the wind or the water, that sort of thing, to different parts of the garden. I find that happening in my garden, too. Um, but you, won't, you really won't find it producing underground stems that travel very far. Okay. All right. My, the, the following question is, like a fool, I bought a couple of primrose plants at Nick's a couple weeks ago. Okay. And I've been toting them in and out of the garage uh-huh. up to the sunlight. And, and um, can I plant them yet? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Since you've been hardening them off well, uh, and I rem- as I recall, the primrose at Nick's are outdoors anyway uh, right, on display, work. so they're pretty well hardened off before you even get them. But uh, yeah, you can go ahead and plant them, but keep in mind that anything that you plant now, hardened off or not, you still have to be prepared if we get back out and in, down into temperatures in the 20s. It's probably a good idea to cover those things. Okay, well, I would. I mean, Tuesday it's supposed to get down to like 33 or 32. And that should be and fine. I was thinking I could put, you know, a bucket over it. You could. Um, it'll it'll would. handle the temperatures in the 30s, even down to 30 degrees, even 29 probably without any problems. But if we're going to get into the mid to low 20s, that's okay, when you really snow. need to worry about things. Yeah, you know, they're also talking snow, so then I could cover them just with a bucket. Yeah, yeah, and snow is okay. a good cover too. Pardon me? Snow is an excellent cover. Really? Yeah, it's like a blanket. Um, It it doesn't get any colder than 32 underneath that snow. So I always always pray for snow when we're going to have cold temperatures because it saves me a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll get those poor things planted in the next couple of days. There you go. You're going to have some beautiful weather today and tomorrow and Monday, I think, for that. Right. Right. And then Tuesday, it just all... 
goes down the turlet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. good luck with well, that. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for calling. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's, let's head right back on out to uh, see what up, what's up with Carol. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Hi. Nice to talk with you. You too. Um, I um, went to the garden center about 10 days ago. I had a weak moment. Um, tired of the snow and the cold. Mm-hmm. And I bought tomato plants. Oh, dear. You did have a weak moment, <laughs> didn't you? I really did. <laughs> I, I bought them in two-inch pots. Are you getting an echo on my call? No, I'm not getting an echo. Oh, okay, it's just me. Okay. Anyway, I bought tomato plants, which I don't traditionally do until a week before I want to plant them. Yeah. And then two week, uh, two-inch pots. So three days ago, I put them in four-inch pots, and they they are triple in size from when I bought them. Mm-hmm. So at what? How much more? Uh, do I need to do as far as putting them in bigger and bigger, bigger pots? How big do I have to go before I can wait, you know, in a particular size to be able to put them in the in the pots that I'm going to grow them in outside? I gotcha. I usually watch for the roots to come out the bottom of the pot. Okay. And when that happens, and I gently tip one or two plants out and look at the root system. And if it, it's starting to look like you've got more roots than soil visible... <clears throat> that's a good time to move them up into the next size pot. Okay. Do you ever pinch them back? You can. Yeah, that's just fine. It'll just cause side branches. Um, for those people who like to grow them as a cordon, which is just a single stem going up a, a stake and no side branches, you probably don't want to do that. Uh, you don't, okay. probably don't want to pinch them if you're going to grow them that way. But if you're going to grow them in a tomato cage and let them branch out and do their thing, then there's no harm in pinching the tops. Okay, I was just thinking that might keep them in control a little while because they tripled in 10 days. Yeah, they're fast growers. That's why it's really important not to plant them too early. Unless you have a greenhouse. No, I don't. Uh, do you have, um, do you, are you have them in a sunny window? Uh, yes, it's a south window, a bay window. Okay. That sounds good. That sounds like the best, best place for them to be right now. Okay. Uh, they don't like well, cool I temperatures. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've learned a lesson this year, haven't you? I, I did, but you know, it was it was fun to be in the greenhouse and get out of the snow. Absolutely. All right. Okay. I, uh, One other question, Carol. Are you are you fertilizing them? Yes. Good. Um, twenty 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 fertilizer. Perfect. Good job. And should that be the quarter strength? Oh, if, you, if you're going to feed with every watering, yes. Okay, okay. Otherwise, maybe once a week go with the full strength? Or once every couple of weeks with the full strength. Okay, all right. And, um, okay, I have an African violet question. Mm-hmm. I have a 30-year-old incredible um, African violet. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's when it blooms, it, it blooms 10 to 12 inches across, and, and I just don't see other violets doing that. But anyway, about 10 years ago, it grew a stem off of the stem, and so I cut that off and got another pot out of that. Well, uh, about a week or two ago, I started noticing droopy leaves on the original plant. Mm-hmm. So after taking it, um, the stem has disconnected from the crown. And so um, 
I put that in a small pot, trimmed off all those those soft leaves, and I still have new growth in the crown. But I put that in, in a pot. Mm-hmm. And is that what I should do with it, you know, to see if I can get that to regrow another stem or yeah so you just kind of use the whole plant as a big cutting right yes yeah so you have the main stem leafless for some uh some length that's down below ground and then the leaves at the very top no there's no stem there's no stem it was gone no stem there's a few um what looks like roots you know, just kind of ha- maybe half inch to an inch off of the crown okay. that I've got down in the dirt, and I covered the plant up to as far as I could without covering all, you know, covering up the leaves. Yeah, I put it in soil. Well, that that sounds like you did the right thing. I don't I don't know if I would do anything differently. Okay, and just keep it well watered, but not wet. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. You might want to take a, a plastic bag or just a piece of saran wrap or something like that and just loosely drape it over the top to keep the humidity up so that until it grows some roots, it's going to be losing water faster than it can take it up. Right. It has some of the the area where the stems were cut off that's touching the, you know, the well, it's the end of the stem that attaches to the plant. That's now down in the soil, so mm-hmm. you know what roots or stem or whatever would come off of that. Yes, exactly. So, what kind of light should I put it in? Uh, just bright, indirect light. No direct sun at all. No direct sun. Okay. All right. If, if this is failing, um, like I said, this is an incredible plant. I've never rooted leaves or done anything with it. It's just grown. Mm-hmm. Is there? I I still have the uh, second plant that came off of the the original uh, on the stem. Should I cut some of those leaves and try to root them, or how do you do that? Oh, rooting African violet leaves. There's a couple of different ways you can do it. One of them is just to take a a, a small glass of water and and cover it with some saran wrap, and poke a couple of holes where you're going to stick the leaf stems through down so that they're just, you know, half an inch into the water or so. Okay. And then maintain that water level uh, until they root out and start producing little plants, and then you can pot that up into soil. Uh, the other way would be to just take a, 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 a like a four-inch or a three-inch pot of African violet soil or general-purpose potting soil. I and African violet soil. <clears throat> okay, and then just stick the stick the stems of the leaves that you've cut off, stick those into that soil about a half an inch to an inch deep, and keep that moist. And it's a long, slow process. I mean, it takes several months for this to all come to fruition. Okay. So you just have to be patient. And during that time, you want to keep them in a, a nice, well-lit area, but uh, again, no direct sun. Okay, so the um, leaves are underneath or on top of the plastic? On top of the plastic with the stem of the leaf okay. poking through the plastic down into the through water. The hole in the water. Yeah. Okay, about a half inch. Yeah. Okay. Well, if my this crown doesn't reroot, I really want to get another plant off of this this violet. I've, I've just, it's just incredible when it blooms. It sounds like it. I've, I've had it 30 years. It was passed to many from a relative and she'd had it six years and I've had it 24 so my goodness 
Oh, it, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it's gone this long. But, um, okay. Well, I'll take care of my tomatoes and my African violets, and you have a great day. Well, you too. Thank you for your call this morning, Carol. Thank you for your help. Okay. You okay. bet. Bye-bye. All right. That means now that we have open lines, I've answered all the questions you've had so far. I need some new ones now. So give me a call here. The telephone number is 303-477-2473. 477-2473. I know you've got gardening questions. Don't be shy. I don't bite. I've never bitten anyone that I'll admit to. So while we're waiting for some calls to come in, Let's go ahead and take our last break for this hour. Okay. And uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm looking at my producer, and he's doing kind of hand signals at me, throwing me off here. So uh, you're listening to The Garden Wise Show. My name is Keith Funk. I'll be here till 9 o'clock this morning. I'm looking forward to your questions, 303-477-2473 on A10, The Legend. What's your lawn good for? After all that watering and maintenance, is your lawn supposed to be admired like some ancient statue in a museum? No! It's supposed to be enjoyed. It's for you, your kids, grandkids, pets, and friends. You should spend warm summer evenings leisurely eating dinner, afternoons watching kids and animals run back and forth. It's a place to have water balloon fights or touch football games. But your grass can't take that kind of pounding. Soon you see dry patches that turn into dirt and mud. You need a lawn that has been engineered to withstand lots of traffic and still thrive in our Colorado climate. You need Colorado's own Turf Mix. It's a well-balanced blend of award-winning grasses that grow in sun or moving shade and tolerate heavy foot traffic. The aggressive root system creates a dense, thick, wear-resistant turf, perfect for outdoor adventures. Plus, it's insect, disease, and drought-resistant. Colorado's own Turf Mix is available at your favorite local independent garden retailer. Do you have broadleaf weeds popping up in your yard? For most weed killers, it's too cold or damp to have any effect. Fertilome has a solution for that. Weed-Free Zone. Weed-Free Zone is one of the few weed killers you can use this early in the year. Use it for dandelions, henbit, chickweed, clover, bindweed, and more. It's rain fast in just a couple of hours after application, and you can reseed in two weeks. Fertilome can give your lawn a weed-free zone that will make you the envy of the neighborhood. Use the product the professionals use. Try Fertilome Weed-Free Zone. You'll find Fertilome Weed-Free Zone at Jared's Nursery in Littleton, the Tree Farm in Longmont, Wilmore Nursery in Littleton, and Tagawa Gardens in Centennial. into the fix-it show with your questions about your home saturday morning at 9 30 specializing in heating and cooling problems legendary hosts deborah and adam bring decades of experience and award-winning expertise to their live interactive fix-it show helping your home weather colorado's unique climate and temperature swings you have questions they have answers call into the fix-it show every saturday morning from 9 30 to 10 30 on legends And we are back. You're listening to Ask. No, you're not. You're listening to the Gardens Garden Wise Show. I got to get used to that again. Uh, my name is Keith Funk. I'm one of the Garden Wise guys. I'm usually joined by Jim Borland here today, but he is a little under the weather. 
So he chose to let me go solo, and um, I will get my revenge. It's best revenge is best served cold, is what I'm told. So we'll find out how that works. Uh, the telephone number here is three zero three four seven seven two four seven three for you to get your gardening questions here and uh, uh, get them answered on the air. I'll be here till nine o'clock, and. Looking forward to talking to you on the air. So, uh, Darlene gave us a call, and we're going to talk about moving plants with Darlene. Good morning, Darlene. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. I you have bet. some daffodils that are in a, a place where they have not bloomed for five years. Okay. So, I think they, they need to move, and I removed them from the back. Like, there was like a strip between the neighbor's fence and my grass, and I thought would be really nice to look out the kitchen window and see them and they they never showed up oh i should move them to the front yard under a locust tree where i know we're watering the grass yeah that would be fine the locust tree uh, is deciduous so that it'll the daffodil leaves will get sun until that tree leaves out and usually by that time they're done the daffodil leaves are done and are turning yellow so that would work out perfectly Okay, the other issue is that locust tree has got root for days. And yes. It's yeah. causing, I think, some grass to not grow in a place that's more than six feet away from the trunk. And I heard a couple weeks ago somebody said, just dig under and see why the grass isn't counting up there, because it is a front lawn. Things should be covered green grass, and, and that one... Well, what what uh, what can be happening, Darlene, is that when when that lawn was first put in, the tree was much smaller and it got a lot of sun. And now that the tree has grown up, the grass that's underneath the tree isn't terribly well adapted to sa- shady conditions. Okay, so, well, this is this further away from it. It's kind of it is a sunnier spot. Oh, okay, all right. But I can, yeah, it, it, the tree was unkept for a while and. It, it made more shade, and, and there was another tree which has since been removed. So now it's a way sunnier spot than it ever was before. Okay. But we still have no grass, and so I, I was saw that the roots are of the tree are, well, they're there. So yeah, you'll probably find there's a lot of roots under there, and uh, I just want to caution you not to damage those roots of the tree. Right. Yeah, so okay. it might it might be a spot that you'll have to consider growing something else other than grass. Okay. Okay. Well, we've we've tried. We've watered, and, and the rabbits have helped. Oh dear, those are that's the worst. Okay. Well, I've got some some grass that I wanted to put out, but they I guess they thought it was like a buffet. Well, I should find another place for that. It's like that clump green. It's supposed to be like a blue fescue. They love that. So I should never put that in the bunny trail. Not where you have rabbits. The blue, they'll eat blue fescue to the ground. Okay. Yeah, but there are other grasses that they don't seem to bother with. Uh, okay. Grasses with much more coarse, hard leaves. Okay. They'll leave those alone. We tried some blonde ambition. We just uh, stuck it in last season, so we'll see if it if it wintered and survived. Yeah, I've got some in my front yard where the bunnies have left it alone completely. So I think you'll be okay with that. Okay, well, thank you very much for the information. We'll, we'll now, see what, what survived. I, I did want to make one more comment on the daffodils. In a, in a perfect world, you'd wait for the foliage to start turning yellow before you move them. 
But if you don't have a choice, you can move them while they're perfectly, I mean, in, the, in, in full bloom, you can move them when they're in full bloom if you take enough roots with them. Okay, I will definitely just scoop them up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for your call this morning, Darlene. Right, bye. Bye-bye. Hey, I have been talking a lot about spring planting, and along with spring planting, there's always soil prep that goes along with that. And when you're planting annuals, um, like your vegetable plants, your vegetable garden, where you're intensively cropping the soil, it's a good idea to add some compost back into the soil each year. Uh, You don't have to add a lot, especially if you've been doing it for a while. If it's a new garden, yeah, you'd want to put down two or three or four inches and work that down in the ground as deeply as possible before you plant. Um, But other than that, that's about all you need to be doing this time of year in the vegetable garden or your annual beds is getting the soil ready for the crop to come, for the plants that are coming. And there, there are plenty of good composts out there. Or you might be making your own compost, which is awesome. It takes a little while longer here in Colorado because of our temperatures are cooler and it's a little drier. But you can certainly make perfectly good compost on your own if you have the space. Otherwise, garden centers sell some great products. Uh, Eco Compost, E-K-O is how it's spelled. That's a great one. It's made right here in Colorado. The um, Nature's Yield Compost. Uh, there, there are uh, Back to Nature, Back to Earth. I can't remember which one it is. It has rainbow on the bag. It's a cotton burr compost. That's an excellent one as well. And uh, just get, get that. Get that in the ground and work it into the soil. Compost does its best job, or manures do their best job, if you dig them into the ground rather than just lay them on top. So, you're listening to The Garden Wise Show. And my name is Keith Funk. I'm one of the Garden Wise guys. Uh, the telephone number here is 303-477-2473. You've got a question about your yard or garden or houseplants or starting seeds or planting trees or pruning, which is a great time of year right now to be finishing up your pruning projects. Give me a call here. I'll be here till nine o'clock. And you know what? Bob called in just a little bit ago. Let's go talk to him. Good morning, Bob. Hi, Keith. I, I have a question. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a garden catalog of the roses mm-hmm. and um, like Morden, um, Meadland, Knockout, Flower Carpet, David Austin. Yeah. I wonder if you have an opinion on, you know, by each group, what you think of them for this area. Uh, well, let's start with the Knockouts, because that's an extremely popular series of plants out there right now. Uh, they're They're extremely heavy flowers. They flower all summer long. They take very little care other than just some regular fertilization um, but almost no other care than that they're they're very disease and insect resistant and you know they're gonna this is shrub rose it's what they call a landscape rose and they come in both single flowered forms and double flowers they don't quite look as perfect as a tea rose but uh, they're planted more for their mass color than the individual flowers and they're going to they're going to get up around 3 feet tall by the end of the summer. So they make a nice hedge or a you know a, a border and and do a nice job. Um you mentioned David Austin, that's a that those are plants that will get quite a lot larger. I I've, I've seen David Austin roses at 6 feet plus. 
And they have that old-fashioned cabbage rose, quartered rose look to them, an English rose. Nice fragrance. They bloom all summer long. Uh, Some of them, the flowers can be rather heavy, and so they sort of nod over to the side when they're blooming. Others produce flowers that, you know, stand upright and rigid, so it just depends on what effect you want to create there. Again, it's a... They're very durable roses. They grow well here if you don't have Japanese beetle. And uh, so I, I, I guess that's my big question right now. Have you, have you noticed any Japanese beetle in your yard the last year or two? Sure, sure. Well, that roses are Japanese beetle candy. That is the first plant that they will attack in your yard if you have roses. So you just need to either be prepared to spray for the Japanese beetles or go out there and handpick them every day, sometimes more than once a day. Um, or you can net the roses. You can put a net over the whole plant. Um, but that's not very attractive and typically not very practical. And how about the flower cop carpet? The flower carpet is more of a ground cover. It stays quite low, small flowers, lots of them, uh, and just spreads out horizontally primarily. And the Meadland? Meadland is a, it's a precursor to the knockouts. So it, it, they have small flowers, smaller than the knockouts, but in, in, in pretty good sized clusters. Um, but it's an older series of roses. It does a nice job, but there are better ones out now. Okay. And this Morden? Morden are, um, they were, as I recall, Bred and produced up in Canada or northern. I think so. In, I think it's Canada. Northern, northern, Morden Experiment Station up in Canada somewhere. Uh, extremely hardy. They're typically on their own roots, so that if we do have a really nasty winter and they die to the ground, they'll come up from below ground and still be the same plant. They're not grafted. Okay. And they'll they'll so get upwards of. of these, yeah. They'll get upwards of, of three or four feet cool. tall. So none of these groups to avoid, they're all, they're, all, they're all okay? Oh, yeah. As far as roses go, um, they're, all, they're all excellent series of roses. Um, I, I love the, the English rose. The, um, what was that one called? I want to say Graham Thomas. Austin. The David Austin. There we go. David, I love the David Austin roses. They're just beautiful. They make great cut flowers. They make a really nice statement in the yard. But again, all of them are going to be Japanese beetle magnets. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, you bet. I appreciate your call today. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Got to get used to this board here. All right. So that means that uh, the lines are all open right now. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Garden Wise Show on 810 The Legend. Do you have broadleaf weeds popping up in your yard? For most weed killers, it's too cold or damp to have any effect. Fertilome has a solution for that. Weed-Free Zone. Weed-Free Zone is one of the few weed killers you can use this early in the year. Use it for dandelions, henbit, chickweed, clover, bindweed, and more. It's rain fast in just a couple of hours after application, and you can reseed in two weeks. Fertilome can give your lawn a weed-free zone that will make you the envy of the neighborhood. Use the product the professionals use. Try Fertilome Weed-Free Zone. 
you'll find Fertilone Weed-Free Zone at Jared's Nursery in Littleton, The Tree Farm in Longmont, Wilmore Nursery in Littleton, and Tagawa Gardens in Centennial. What's your lawn good for? After all that watering and maintenance, is your lawn supposed to be admired like some ancient statue in a museum? No! It's supposed to be enjoyed. It's for you, your kids, grandkids, pets, and friends. You should spend warm summer evenings leisurely eating dinner, afternoons watching kids and animals run back and forth. It's a place to have water balloon fights or touch football games. But your grass can't take that kind of pounding. Soon you see dry patches that turn into dirt and mud. You need a lawn that has been engineered to withstand lots of traffic and still thrive in our Colorado climate. You need Colorado's own Turf Mix. It's a well-balanced blend of award-winning grasses that grow in sun or moving shade and tolerate heavy foot traffic. The aggressive root system creates a dense, thick, wear-resistant turf, perfect for outdoor adventures. Plus, it's insect, disease, and drought-resistant. Colorado's own Turf Mix is available at your favorite local independent garden retailer. Right, we are back to the Gardenwise Show. I'm Keith Funk. I'm one of the hosts of the Gardenwise Show. Normally, I'm joined here by Jim Borland, the other co-host of the show. Uh, he's a bit under the weather today, so he left me to do this solo, which makes me nervous because I don't really have the gift of gab. So I need your help. I need you to call with your gardening questions at three zero three four seven seven two four seven three. Four seven seven two four seven three with your gardening questions, you'll get right on the air because we have nobody on the lines right now, so it'll be quite simple and quick. So while we're waiting, I have a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Number one, have you finished cleaning up your perennial beds yet? This would be the time of year to get it done because stuff is starting to grow. Even though it's cold, those perennials, they don't want to wait. They're already coming up. And if you wait too much longer, it's going to cause, you're going to cause more damage in the cleanup process that, uh, to that new growth than you really want to cause. So get out there and get that done this weekend or by Monday so that you're all fresh and ready for the growing season coming up in May, starting in May. Well, I guess it's already started. I was shocked. My iris are up already about a foot tall, and the snow, this last snow, didn't cover them completely. I was expecting that 16 degrees that we had was going to fry the top of the foliage that was sticking out above the snow, and it seems to be untouched. It looks just as good as it did before the snow. I'm shocked. I didn't expect that at all. And a lot of the other things in my yard that I was expecting to be damaged by those cold temperatures came through with flying colors. So get out there and get busy because these plants want to grow and they don't want that old stuff in the way causing problems. Let's see. What else can I tell you about uh, that you should be working on? Oh, if you've got mulch on the ground, uh, bark mulch particularly, it's a good idea to go through this time of year with a small leaf rake or even with just your fingers and fluff up the old mulch because it'll have a tendency to get compacted and compressed over the winter months. And that impedes the air and water getting through it down to the soil and into the soil where the roots of your plants are. So it's a great idea to get out there and fluff up that old mulch. And that's also a good time to take note of where you need to add some more mulch in the bare spots. 
So get out there and do that. And that's always best done before the plants get very big because once they start to fill out, it's really hard to get in there without damaging them when you're fluffing up the mulch. And then aerating the lawn. This is a great time to get out there. Either do it yourself, go rent a machine that pulls plugs out of the ground or have somebody do it for you. It's not very expensive. And get out there and aerate the lawn before you fertilize. So right after you fertilize, get out there and put a, or excuse me, right after you aerate, get out there and put down a good quality fertilizer, something with slow-release nitrogen. There are a number of brands on the market. There's Fertilome, there's Richlawn, there's Jerdon. Um, those three come to mind quite quickly. Uh, all of them are going to be high nitrogen, which is what you want for lawns. And you want to make sure that the nitrogen, in whatever brand you choose, is mostly slow-release. So it feeds nice and slowly and evenly over a five-, six-week period. So, uh, so the, the plants aren't being doused with a fast-release nitrogen and then starving until you decide to fertilize again in six weeks, if you fertilize at all after that. Uh, a lot of people, I was surprised to find out in a national survey that was done that less than 50% of the people in this country with lawns feed their lawn more than once a year. And so that, and it also means that less than 50% of the folks out there don't feed their lawn ever. And that's not a good idea. If you don't feed the lawn, it gets thin. There's spaces between the plants. That's an opportunity for weeds to come in. It's also a place where water can evaporate more quickly. And a starved yard is a weak yard, which means it can't take a whole lot of foot traffic, and insects and disease can become more of a problem. So I know there's a lot of information out there. Don't put down fertilizer. It just gets in the waterways and that sort of thing. Well, it doesn't if you're conscientious about how you put it down put it down properly with the right kind of weed with the right kind of fertilizer spreader don't spread it out onto the sidewalks or into the street while you're spreading it water it in and put down the correct amount don't over fertilize don't put down twice as much that's not better put down just what the label says and if you're conscientious about that, there's very few nutrients that can ever make it through a good, healthy system of roots that a grass produces. And more than likely, you, already, you also have tree roots and shrub roots in the same area that you're growing grass. All of those roots are going to be hungry, and they're going to suck up everything that you put down. So it's really important when you're putting down a fertilizer not to get it on the hard surfaces, the, the sidewalks, the driveways, etc. Um, that's where it runs off. It gets into the street. It gets down into the waterways, and that's where it can cause problems. So don't be f- scared of fertilizing your lawn. It's a good thing. All right, let's see. Let's go out and talk to Carol at in Castle Rock and see what's going on with her seeds right now. Good morning, Carol. Hi. Hi. Uh, is it to plant flower seeds in my whiskey barrel or... It's a little early yet. I usually tell people to wait until just after Mother's Day to start with uh, planting seeds outdoors. What kind are you looking at doing? Oh, just, well, some, well, like I have some sunflower seeds and and some um, just um, wild seeds, wildflower seeds. Wildflower seeds can go out now because they don't mind the cool temperatures. But sunflowers won't germinate until the soil reaches a certain temperature. I think it's about 70 degrees. So that means that if you plant them too early and they sit in a wet, cold soil, they have a tendency to rot. 
okay. So wait until okay. it gets warmer before you plant those things like sunflowers. We're just getting anxious. <laughs> I understand. I am too. <laughs> you should see my basement. <laughs> I know. I, I finally found an elephant ear plant. I called you about that one before. Uh-huh. And uh, that place in Parker didn't have any. <laughs> oh. But I found one in Hudson's Ranch that was already sprouting, already had leaves. So Perfect. I found one of them. Yeah, I, I noticed yesterday that Nick's had some nice big pots of elephant ears. They're gorgeous. Oh, oh, Nick's. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Well, you bet, Carol. Thanks for calling this morning. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Well, speaking of elephant ears, mine have multiplied, and I've got 28 elephant ear plants right now. I don't need 28 elephant ears. I started with one about nine years ago. And I'm one of those people that have a tendency not to want to throw plants away, especially plants that cost me money. <laughs> you know? I don't know if you're the same way. But uh, every year, the, those elephant, bulb, elephant ear bulbs, and this is the, I believe they're called callocaceas. It's the one where the tip of the leaf points up rather than pointing down. And it has a long stem-like bulb, I guess you'd want to call it, just a long stem-like structure that it grows from, rather than a round softball or soccer ball-sized uh, bulb. The ones I have, um, I start them early in the season, you know, usually about the end of February, early March. And mine have already got leaves two feet across. They're just enormous. They're taking up a lot of space. And I tried something different with them because those, stem, those stems I was talking about were getting long. I had some that were a good two feet long, and they wouldn't fit into a pot anymore. So I chopped them up into pieces. And out of, two fo- out of a two-foot stem, I'd get two or three or four chunks. That, uh, and you have to kind of make sure that you get the right side up when you do this. So you want to mark the upside. And then I repotted them all, and they've all rooted out, and all, especially all the ones that I cut are producing multiple sprouts from the sides. So they're going to be even bushier than the ones that produce just one sprout out the top. Uh, I guess long story short to say that these things multiply, so make sure that you have plenty of friends around to give them to, because I don't know what I'm going to do with 28 elephant ear plants. So I just want to remind everybody that you're listening to The Garden Wise Show. My name is Keith Funk. I'm one of the Garden Wise guys. And Jim Borland was normally here with me. Took the weekend off. Uh, lucky guy. You're listening to A10 The Legend. And the telephone number here, I would really encourage you to give us a call at 303-477-2473. We're going to get out of here after the top of the hour here. How much time do we have about now? Oh, about a minute-ish? Oh, okay, so I can still talk about a couple things while we're waiting. The telephone number, 303-477-2473. Uh, get, on, get in line, and right after the top of the hour, we'll start answering questions like crazy. Um, we talked about lawns, aerate, fertilize after you aerate. If you're going to put down a weed preventer or a pre-emergent, do that after you aerate. And remember that if you do put down a pre-emergent, you cannot overseed or put any new seed down on your lawn for at least 12 weeks. All right, that music means I need to stop talking. And 
let somebody else talk for a little bit. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to be back for another hour of the Garden Wise Show right here on A10, The Legend. <laughs>